Hello there. My name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. It's probably fair to say that along with the other large growing freshwater species such as catfish and carp, pike are and have for a long time been one of coarse angling's main cult fish. Helping both promote and feed this level of interest is the fact that they can be found occurring naturally across pretty much the entire length and breadth of the country. That said, some venues are for a range of reasons more productive than others, particularly when it comes to big fish, with just a small handful of waters taking that extra step of attaining legendary status. Though they promise much, these waters are often vast or even off limits, and as such are not always accessible or easy to fish, which, as much as anything, helps keep that legendary status alive. In England, one such a water is Lake Windermere. The big question is, with all that surface area and strictly enforced registration regulations regarding taking along your own boat, just exactly where do you start? To help answer that question, plus many others regarding not only Lakeland Pike, but fishing in Cumbria generally over all its waters and available freshwater species, I'm sat sheltering from the rain under some trees on the shoreline of Derwent Water with Eric Hope from Cumbrian Guiding Service, Hemingways, along with his client for the day, Phil Dunn. In my introduction, I touched very briefly on your area of operation, so perhaps you'd like to fill us in a bit more on the finer detail. Well, I started uh, doing all of this on the back of a fishing trip to the States about 20 years ago where I discovered fishing guides existed. I'd never heard of fishing guides, and when I first started, people thought, well, they actually came up to me and said, don't be ridiculous, you're not making a living taking people fishing, who's going to pay for that? But in the end, they did, and here we are getting on 20 years on now, and I'm busy virtually the whole of the year round, everything from teaching fly casting, taking youngsters out catching perch on the lakes in the summer, I teach fly casting for trout, take people actually trout fishing with a fly rod, go off salmon fishing with people and doing a lot of serious pike angling with people and generally have lots of adventures up and down involving fish. I'm based in Keswick these days with a couple of boats on local lakes. I also have a bigger one, the Beagle, that stays on a trailer so that's ready to be moved and also do trips abroad and I fish up in Scotland anywhere where there's wild waters if it's wild and it's interesting fishing you'll probably find me up there at some stage I'm not interested in going and sitting for a three days camped out waiting for a fish called Neville that was last caught on a popped up tutti frutti ice cream boiler at quarter past six by one-eyed Barry Smith from Heckman Wyke I prefer wild fish I do have a few qualifications. Apart from my RYA day skipper's ticket, I'm actually a, a fully qualified school teacher. In the winter months, for quite a few years, I did a lot of supply work. At the moment, I'm busy doing a lot of supply teaching, but on a different basis because I'm teaching fishing for the Environment Agency in West Cumbria at the moment. So I fish for pike, fish for perch. Trout, salmon, we've mentioned all of that. Do a bit of char fishing as well on occasion. And thoroughly enjoy it. Meet some great people. I started off thinking, should I call it Eric Hope's Fishing Trips? But then I thought, well, in those days, I'd always been brought up to kind of play things down a bit, rather than being big-headed and blowing me on trumpet. And I thought, well, Hemingway's, I was writing articles for magazines, 
and I was, I was having wild adventures and I thought well the old man and the fish and all that daft sort of stuff so I stuck an extra M in the in the name and uh, started Hemingways. Prior to all of this I was actually working with young offenders. I spent 35 years being told to go away every morning and I, I just decided I wanted to do something different. I suppose the obvious next question has to be why should any angler wanting to go pike fishing in the Cumbrian Lakes invest in the services of a guide? Well, what do you get for your money if you... And why should you take a guide out? Blimey. When I first started all of this, it just occurred to me that there's an awful lot of people come to the Lake District in particular, and they think, wow, but it's really good to go fishing. But where do we find a fish in all that water? There's a heck of a lot of water, and looking for a yard of pike in somewhere like Windermere, which, according to the Windermere Cruises, is something like 69,000 million litres of water and you're looking for a yard of fish, it's pretty difficult. So, having fished up here, well, according to my brother, I ran away from home, I was brought up in Oswaldswistle, but according to Tiny, I ran away from home when I was 12, discovered Windermere, and never went back. Now, he's a fisherman, so there's probably not all that much truth in it, but I fished up here and in the lake since I was a little lad. And you get to know these places. I fish Derwent Water, I fish Bassenthwaite, Windermere, all of the lakes, for a whole range of species. And because I know them well, and because I know their moods and the seasonal things that's attached to fishing on these places, I can not guarantee, but I can make sure that at least we're doing the right things in the right time, at the right place, and people keep coming back. I've been doing it for 20 years and I've got lots of regular clients and I love it. Mostly we're out boat fishing. I've got the, the doghouse, which just seems a, the ultimate name for a boat. If anybody wants to know where Eric is, well, he's usually out in the doghouse. Mostly in the summer months, I'll be working with dads and lads, mums and daughters. We're out catching perch. I think if you can introduce kids into catching fish, particularly these days, it's not enough to say to kids, you'll like this when you catch something. They've got to be catching fish. And perch, as most anglers would tell you, are one of the most obliging fish. And you can go out, and on a good day in, in the Lake District, you'll get 100 fish maybe. You can certainly guarantee bites. And for kids, that is brilliant. So we get the kids fishing. For adults, I teach fly casting. We go out pike fishing. The surface lure fishing for pike on these lakes in the summer months is marvellous because the water's clear. And increasingly, I do a, a large amount of fly fishing for pike. If I have a speciality that I'm beginning to be renowned for, really, I suppose, it's the good days out generally, where we have a day like today on Derwent Water catching perch and pike, up to good sizes. But increasingly, it's the fly fishing that seems to be taking over. It's becoming a big thing these days. In terms of what success rates we have, gosh, where do I start? The biggest, biggest perch we had last year, little Ellie, Ellie Mike from just outside Preston, she had a, a perch of just over three pounds. Her dad had a three pound six perch earlier on this year, which is a big perch for most places. For a little lad like me that was brought up fishing on mill lodges and little streams in North Lancashire, anything over six inches is a big perch. 
And the, the perch population has just recovered massively from the disease of a few years ago. And we get some big ones. The biggest I've had out of the lakes in the top end, uh, I had a £4.10 ounce fish year before last and a £4.6 the next cast. Pike, the biggest pike this last year, uh, we had, oh my goodness me, 17 fish over £20 from different waters. The biggest was £29, 10 ounces. Biggest trout we've had out of the rivers, £6.4 ounce on a dry fly which didn't have to put up a heck of a scrap, and we learnt to run in the process. Salmon, well, <laughs> salmon, where do we begin? There's not as many as there used to be, but we still catch quite a few. Though there are pike in quite a number of Cumbria's lakes, being nutrient poor, as is often the case with large glacial ribbon lakes surrounded by fells and little in the way of human population, in aquatic productivity terms, this can be something of a limiting factor. Not, however, for Coniston and Windermere, both of which have an excellent head of, at times, very big pike, particularly Windermere. Could this, then, be evidence to suggest that unnatural factors such as growing urbanisation, large numbers that potentially live on board boats, and visitor-fed wildfowl are leading to increased nutrient enrichment, thereby stimulating an expansion of the food chain right up to the apex predators, which more often than not are going to be pike? I don't think that it's the, the housing and the additional nutrients. I think you're probably right in that if you want to set your stall out to catch big pike, the bigger lakes, particularly Coniston and Windermere, do have a reputation for producing the big fish. I think it's probably because you've got a relatively small area of a big lake that is ideal habitat, but I think with both... Coniston and Windermere you've got a resident population of char, you've got a resident population of quite a lot of salmonoid species backed up with your native perch and roach and all the rest of it that are there all year round. There seems to be some evidence that if a water is going to produce very big fish as well as having a good supply of roach, perch and what we call basic food fish, basic prey fish, there's also the high nutrient value oily fish that salmon bring into the fishery. If you've got salmon coming into a, into a lake I mean, obviously, pike don't eat all year round and feed furiously. There's certain times of the year where they'll feed more, and there's other times where they switch off. Where you've got salmon coming in, the salmon and sea trout in particular that run both Windermere and Coniston, would come in into the lake and hang about in the lake for a while, so they're there as possible food items. Then, once they've spawned, you've got the tired, exhausted Celts, a decent sized kelp, maybe six or eight pounds, is a good solid meal for any pike of 10 or 12 pounds. And it's high nutrient, easily accessible food. The pike doesn't have to expend energy in catching these things. They just drift around because they're absolutely tired out. On the back of that, you then have the bonus of the descending smolts coming down the river with a view to going back out. And increasingly, I think that the, the salmon influence is a big major factor in why some of these pike in some of the bigger lakes are getting pretty big. There is some evidence to suggest that they've peaked and that the size is, is dwindling away a little bit in recent years, particularly on Windermere. The Institute of Freshwater Ecology down there have been studying them for years and they suggest that the top weight is beginning to drop. Now that might be 
connected to the fact that the runs of salmon coming up the Leven are only a very small proportion of what they used to be. So that has a knock-on effect right the way through the whole of the cycle. But I do think that that's one of the reasons that Windermere and Coniston do have a decent number of pike. They're not the only lakes that produce big pike. Over the past three years, I've had 20-pound fish from one, two, three, four other lakes, apart from Windermere and Coniston, within the Lake District. So it's not just that Windermere and Coniston are the, the only ones capable of producing, but they do have a lot of good features, they do have a lot of appropriate depths, and the best thing is, is they've got space for pike to hide. The one thing that pike don't like, I think it was Fred J. Taylor that said, carp can hack it, pike can't. And that was in terms of being caught. I think the damage factor to a pike from being caught and the effects of being hooked, played, landed and then dealt with, maybe not by experienced anglers but certainly by inexperienced anglers, I think the cost to a pike is massive and the effect of having to repair that damage is one of the limiting factors and I think if you get a, a, the ideal water to me would be a big glacial lake to any of the Lake District waters really where you've got a decent head of roach, perch plus a fair abundance of trout and then this bonus factor of salmonoids coming in that would give you the absolute prime pike fishery especially if it was remote and unfished. If I wake up sweating in the middle of the night that's my dream. <laughs> I've suddenly found myself in a great big place with loads of fish in it that's been untouched. Understandably, being the largest lake in England, Windermere is huge. So too is Coniston, which as we've already said, also has a very good pike population too. And while small by comparison to these giants, many of the other lakes are still nonetheless vast. That said, because they have such a lot of very deep and often thermally stratified water over the summer months, they're not that vast in terms of the potential for providing pike habitat. So can you describe to us in Lakeland terms then, what exactly prime pike habitat is, how you go about recognising and finding it, and which are the best lakes overall to be looking in to find it in the first place? Ideal habitat, to me, is space to get out of trouble, space to manoeuvre. You need fairly large extensive amounts of shallow water, where the pike can come in, they can predate on whatever other fish inhabit the lake, without having to travel too far. They also need reasonable depths of water to be able to retire to, not in the depths of winter surprisingly, but particularly in summer. There's quite a lot of evidence to suggest that when the water levels, when the, the water stratifies and the upper layers begin to warm up, the pike will actually move out into deeper water. This is one of the reasons that we don't see very many big pike in the summer. One of the other reasons obviously is that they don't feed as much. But in terms of habitat, I think you need a fair extent of relatively shallow water, under 40 feet, but I think the presence of deep water close by gives the pike the opportunity to move out of the shallows when it suits them. And that to me is ideal habitat. And what would you say with regard to specific features? Specific features, I think at any given time in these lakes, your pike are up to two basic strategies. They're either resting up or they're feeding. 
If they're resting up, from an angler's point of view, there's not much you can do. If they're feeding, it's a matter of whereabouts are they going to be. Now, generally speaking, that is down to time of year. At certain times of year, they will follow distinctive patrol routes. They do migrate, so it would seem, particularly in the springtime. And if you can find a route that pike take, and you can ambush them, then you could find yourself sitting on maybe half a dozen very good fish in a day. It's not unusual on Coniston and Windermere as well, to some extent, to pick up half a dozen decent fish in a day, all from within a very small area. But that's down to working it out. The depth is critical. In the summer months, you'll find you've got smaller fish packed into the bays. In the winter months, your fish are a bit more well spread out. An ideal position from an angler's point of view is to find the infamous drop-offs. Now, drop-offs are talked about amongst pike anglers all over the world. The basic notion is, is that pike that are patrolling don't like changes in depth. So rather than having to travel and come up and down in the water column, they'll stick to the depth that they happen to be at where they're picking up fish. So, for instance, that sort of 30 to 35 foot contour is always worth exploring particularly if you get a point of land sticks out into the water you'll have depth contours that meet up fairly close together and you can position your baits appropriately in terms of features generally anywhere where you get a promontory where you get a river comes in whether it's a small stream you'll if it's a small stream you'll have fish coming and going find the bait fish you'll find your pike Having found the right type of fish holding terrain, can we now turn our attention to appropriate approaches for getting the best out of them? Generally speaking, if I'm fishing from a boat, which is what I do most of the time, I find either float trolling, where I've got a dead bait, because we've got bait restrictions, I can't use freshwater baits in the Lake District, we can't use live baits, so float trolling with a reasonable reasonable size float not one of these massive donkey chokers that people often use I'm a great believer in keeping it simple I think it's easy to overcomplicate rigs so I would float troll with a float where the line runs through the float a piece of fold over weight well down usually about three foot above the bait I use long traces I'm uh, if you hook a a 20 pound pike and you're using a shot boat trace if that pike rolls twice round it that line is going to go close to the mouth as soon as that happens you're in danger of doing two things losing the pike and also leaving a fish with a tracing which to me is unforgivable the welfare of the fish in my book is absolute absolute priority it really is so most of my clients that uh, regulars turn up and the, the, they take the mick because it's, hey, look, I've made these traces, are these all right? And usually they're about two and a half foot long. And I, I, use, I use the peaky pime and cap routine. If you think that your average peak cap is about the same distance across as a 20 pound pike's mouth, stick a trace in one corner, roll it round twice. If your line's anywhere near the cap, you're using the wrong size trace and I don't festoon my traces with loads of hooks I'll have a size 2 single and usually a size 6 or a size 4 treble and that is it on my trace there's not dozens of hooks I will typically float troll up and down if that's not working 
I'll fish lures out the front of a boat and I'll have a couple of baits drifting along behind usually set a couple of feet over depth to allow for the take up with the weight of the bait lifting it up in the water most of the time I do prefer to be on the move there are times when you have to sit it out if you've found a hot spot if you've got a good little patch that you know is worth fishing at certain times of the year certain times of the day and you only find this out by experience I'm lucky I spend a lot of time on the water so I can kind of wise up a little bit I'm not saying I've got all the answers because I haven't and the great thing is that you can always learn more but occasionally if I found a hot spot zone or if the weather conditions are such that you think I don't want to be stuck out there bowling around in the, the wild I, I want to be in the shelter of the cabin with a kettle on and a few dead baits out that's great that's my winter dream I love it I'll sit out on some of these big waters not in the doghouse but in the beagle with a cabin the nose of the boat always turns gently into the wind anchored up get the back anchor down kettle on couple of rods out and you're waiting for that float just to slide away you watch the wildlife you watch the geese the clouds the weather change the whole caper most of the time I'm fishing on the drift but in winter I'll sit it out I don't sit out for too long though generally speaking I find if there's nothing happening unless it's a spot that I know produces at say one o'clock or three o'clock and there are those places if you're lucky enough to be able to work them out if it's just a general area that you kind of get a bit of a feeling well this is the sort of place there's a gentle slope falling away into 40 feet 50 feet of water I can anchor up I can put a bait in 35 another one in 25 another one on the, the other side of the boat out into 40 feet I'll sit it out for maybe an hour if there's nothing happened I'll move doesn't have to be a big move it might only be 50 yards might only be 25 yards but move or change something at least do something different alter the presentation pop a bait up maybe inject it with oils change the bait incidentally on the subject of uh, <laughs> injecting I had a fish picked up a bait on Windermere last year and it was a it was a sardine which is quite a good bait most of the time and I'd injected it full of snurge oils and all sorts of stuff I think I'd overdone it because I popped the bait out there and after about 20 minutes the float just suddenly buried itself probably traveled three four feet my hand was just closing over the rod and the float came back up I waited and waited nothing I reeled in and there were puncture marks all along all across the bait and the distance between the teeth was about an inch and a half whatever had picked that bait up was a very big fish but out of each puncture wound was oil and I thought hmm maybe just a bit too much snurge so you can overdo it sometimes all the talk so far has been about boat fishing but what about fishing from the bank I don't tend to do much bank fishing generally because I'm fortunate because I've got a, I've got boats I can go and explore so rather than rather than sort of sit it out and wait for the fish to come to me I can go out and I can go hunting it just suits my style I know there's brilliant bank fishing to be had but 
to my mind, it's too much sit back and wait. And I'm quite an active sort of bloke. I fell in love with boat fishing, to be quite honest. I fell in love with boats when I was building rafts on the canal in Oseltwistle and learning to swim, just as a side effect of falling in. But I, f I think once you get into boating, everything else falls by the wayside. Because it's just great. Just being out in a boat is good fun. You're at the mercy of the weather, but you learn to deal with all of that. It's just the best fun that you can have. So to me, bank fishing is not something I tend to do. If I did, I'd just pop a couple of baits out and I'd leapfrog. So I'd put one bait out next to another one, perhaps fish three rods where I could, and then move one of the M1s and work my way along the bank if there's nothing happening. You've got to maximise your time. We're only here for a very short period, so you've got to do what you can. What are your recommendations then in terms of tackle choice? Rods and reels. Everybody has their favourites. Before I started guiding, I was a total multiplier man. I just love playing a fish off a multiplier. I think it's, it just feels right. But because of the overrun factor, when you've got people who you're introducing into fishing, and a lot of what I do, as well as working with expert anglers and some very good ones that just come along really for the crack and the fun of it, I do a lot of work with novices. So for novices, it's a lot easier to teach them to cast and to be successful using a fixed spool reel. Typically, these days, most of the reels that I use are Shimano bait runners, which have revolutionised pike fishing, to be quite honest. The rods, I'm still not happy with most commercial ones. There's a few good rod makers up and down the country, but even people like Mr Lum, I still prefer my own knock-up rods. So I'll pick up pike rods or whatever and I tend to chop bits off them and add bits too. Uh, certainly a lot of the big commercial companies I think they've still got a lot to learn but you need something generally two, two and a half, maybe three pound test curve. I have old rods that occasionally get an air in, an old Terry Eustace rod which I caught my first 30 pound pike out of Esthwaite on and occasionally for old time's sake I still get that one out. It's an old fiberglass one these days, most of them are carbon fibre. But I do wonder, I think sometimes a lot of the modern technology might be just taking us too far away from what fishing's all about. You can concentrate on the technology and miss out on the, on the fishing. And what about the line? Are you a braid or a mono man? I fish braid and I fish mono. I know braid is the big new thing. It's great for lures because two inches of movement in the rod tip is two inches of movement into the lure. But to be perfectly honest, for the bulk of my fishing, I'm sticking to the old Maxima nylon. It's great. It's never let me down. I trust it. If I'm out fishing, I'll have two or three lure rods, all of which have got braid on, different weights of rods for different sized lures. I'll also have usually four bait rods. Two of the bait rods are rigged up with braid because if you want to drift a bait round under a float, braid is very useful because it floats as long as it's not a snaggy area because braid is a nightmare for just breaking if you're fishing a snaggy area and you've got bits of damage to the line. Mono is wonderful. Maybe, maybe I'm just an old-fashioned long in the tooth, but I do like fishing with mono. That little bit of stretch. It's not a direct comparison, what with me doing the bulk of my fishing at sea, 
but problems can cross over, and for that reason I agree wholeheartedly with you. I'd choose mono every time, saving the braid only for those occasions where it does have something extra to offer. When it comes to fishing baits, I just have an awful lot of confidence in using mono. It sinks, so I can keep a bait where I want it. It's far more abrasion resistant, and I sometimes think it's a bit like the Emperor's New Clothes when it comes to all this modern technology. I really do. I will not use it when I'm salmon fishing. I stick to 12 pound or 15 pound mono because the extra stretch cannot, can make the difference between you losing a salmon as it shakes its head and almost rattles the lure out or it's staying on and I just like that little bit of give. You touched on traces earlier but what about different choices of end tackle to match different situations? Nothing too extremely different to what 90% of most people would be using. The only real difference I would think is if I'm fishing what I call a Barnes Wallace rig. If I'm fishing on the drift or if I'm float trolling, I'll often have what is effectively a free running paternoster with a two ounce lead underneath the boat and I'll just hang that over the side at about 18 feet down. There's something about 18 feet that I think it's about the zone where pike become invisible and you can be drifting over any depth of water 18, 20, 30 feet and you'll, you'll pick fish up on the Barnes Wallace rig it just hangs, the lead bumps on the bottom the bait's coming through a couple of feet above the, above the bed of the lake and it just works in terms of specific arrangements of, of what I do Apart from using longer than average traces, I'm a great believer in keeping it simple. I see a lot of pike anglers fishing with floats that could choke a donkey, monstrous amounts of lead, rigs that's festooned with hooks. If I could find a way of catching pike that didn't involve sticking hooks in, I'd be really happy. Because I like these fish, I think they're an amazing creature. And if there was a way of doing being, being a successful angler that didn't stick hooks in these things, I'd be delighted. But I haven't quite come up with that answer yet. So mostly, you can put me in the, in the, the keep it simple bracket of angler. I see people fishing with Christmas tree rigs and all sorts of stuff, and it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't do it. And finally, on the tackle and tactics front, what about bait choice? Baits, it depends. Every water and every angler will have their favourite. There are a few strange anomalies. You could fish a lamprey on Derwent water, for instance, and you could fish it for a week, and it would still be there at the end of the week. It might be a little rotten, it might be a bit more aromatic, and it might be soggy, but the chances are it would still be there. If you put a lamprey out on Bassenthwaite at the same time of year, which is about two and a half miles down the river as the crow flies, it would probably get eaten within 20 minutes. Why? I have no idea. My personal choice would probably be for an oily sea bait. If it wasn't for restrictions, I would fish trout, but we can't do that up in the lake, so we don't. As a professional fishing guide, I don't want to be breaking the law, I don't want to be seen or be known to be a, a stroke puller. So I play a very straight bat, I'm very honest, I don't need to cheat because once you've got the knowledge of waters and fish behaviour then you're going to catch. How does seasonality and associated with that water temperature and water colour or turbidity affect tactics and bait choice? That does have and makes an influence. 
one of the things that I noticed, particularly this last couple of years, we've had some really hard winters. Now, in the summer months, a fish's metabolism is pretty well running flat out. It's warm water, so the fish's body temperature is warm. Its metabolism's running about maximum efficiency. And so they can take on board a reasonable amount of food and digest it fairly quickly. So I will fish quite decent sized baits. However, I've noticed this past couple of years, if I'm fishing in the depths of winter, when the water is, I kind of describe it as thick water, when it's just about to freeze, or when it's just hovering above freezing, it kind of gets that thick sort of oily look about it. And I've discovered that I've been catching a lot more big fish using very small baits. Not minnow size, but using, say, smelt size baits or just a smaller section of mackerel or half a sardine. I think that the notion being that if it, as fish are cold-blooded the whole metabolism in very cold water is going to slow down. Is a fish likely to be feeling comfortable when it's sitting with a belly full of undigested food? I suspect not. So to me small baits in winter work far better. Do you have any preferences for rigging them? Usually very, very simple. If I'm fishing static baits, I'll have a single in the root of the tail and a semi-barbed treble about halfway down the bait. And that's it. If it's a soft bait, such as a sardine or a mackerel that you may have had in the bait box for a little while, I'll stick a little bit of elastic round just to fasten the tail hook in. But again, I keep it simple. If I'm fishing and I'm trolling, and we're talking about pike here, I guess, rather than ferox. If I was ferox fishing and I'm trolling, obviously the bait is hooked with the head pointing towards the rod, similarly with float trolling. But if I'm fishing for ferox, I'll actually wire the hooks onto the bait because of the way that a ferox takes. Ferox, as you probably know, will come along and they will hit a bait again, and then they'll hit it again, and then they'll take it. Not always. Sometimes it's just kaboom and you're in, but I prefer to make sure that the hooks are on the bait properly with ferox. With pike, it's just a matter of do you fish it so that the bait looks like a real fish wobbling through the water, or are you fishing it static, in which case you want your maximum hooking efficiency to be there along with the aerodynamics of casting a bait out that's rigged with the fat end away from the rod. I don't tend to bother with wire inserts or bits of lead unless I'm fishing a wobble bait. If I fish a wobble bait, wobbling is something that people don't do these days. When I was a lad, a lot of us would cover miles working our way along a, a canal bank or a lake shore, fishing wobble baits, great way of fishing. There's only me seems to do it these days. But if I'm fishing a wobble bait and I'm in an area outside of the Lake District, I'll often fish with about a two inch piece of flattened lead nail almost, I cut little strips of roofing lead, to which I fasten a little bit of copper wire, so I fasten that to the hook or the trace. I don't want a bait flying off with a lump of lead in it and the pike out there coming along swimming and thinking, oh look, I'll have that, somebody's left me a bit of free food. Picks it up, swallows it, and it swallows a lump of lead. Not good for the fish. I do wonder about these guys that fish pop-up baits with particularly polystyrene. Shoved 
down into the body cavity yes it makes a bait pop up off the bottom but can a pike digest polystyrene i suspect not and the one thing i do not like doing is catching pike that look like they've had a hard time we do sometimes see them they've either been dragged up the bank and had a good kicking or they've eaten something and it's just not been able to pass the remains of that was was in the in the bait through itself occasionally and it's only happened twice but occasionally i've found lumps of balsa wood poking out of pike i got a pike off coniston about four years ago which had a balsa wood pop out hanging out of its backside and it came free but there was no leash there was nothing to suggest that had been fastened on to the trace or anything so i, I personally avoid all that sort of stuff with lures and such like well different types everybody has their favorites i'm a great lover of fishing surface lures in the summer months a surface lure is about the most exciting way you could probably go fishing because it's visual my favorite is a thing called a pool cue baby if you go into any pub that has a, an old pool table have a, have a word with the landlord or the landlady and there'll be a couple of cues that's got the tips missing you can cut those up and you can make three really nice surface lures out of those just hollow the front out like one of the old head and lucky 13s weight it accordingly and you've got a bait that will catch you loads of fish you just fire them out pause because any pike in the area where they've landed is thinking what's that and as that expanding circular ripple moves away gets to about a yard across give it a quick tap choop, and then hang on because if there's a pike there it'll have it i love fishing surface plugs i fish jerk baits on occasion i do occasionally troll but not much i'm not a great one for trolling because i think it's i know some people like it but it doesn't suit me i prefer to work a bit for my fishing rather than just let the fish hang themselves on the end of a on the end of a lure in terms of on, on the few occasions where I do troll I'll probably have a bait 50 100 yards behind and I'll always have one quite close because there's something about if you think about it it's a bit like float trolling it's a bit like any other way of fishing where you're out in a boat if you're a top predator and the shadow of a boat goes over you for a moment you cease to be king of the hill if two seconds later there's a small bait size or a prey fish size food item comes past you suddenly you've got chance to be I'm back again here we go come here I'm having it bang and you've got it I get a lot of fish on baits and lures very close to the back of the boat and I'm convinced it's this now I've got chance to be me again I can prove I'm really a hard roughy tufty pike they're not really that hard and roughy tufty you've got to handle them very carefully I take great pride and pleasure in most of my pike going back in exactly the same way that they come out and I hate it if I see one that looks like it's had a hard time but in terms of trolling and distance behind boats that's it that's it for me what about trolling speeds trolling speeds depend upon the time of year in my experience in winter I don't think you can troll slow enough you want something moving through the pike haven't got that much available energy to chase it at great speed so most of the time 
in the colder months my trolling speed is slow it's easy to go slow when you're going into the wind it's a bit more difficult when the winds behind you it's not unusual to see people having a right old struggle to catch fish when they're battling down the down the lake at 90 miles an hour because the winds behind them and it's the wrong time of year for that you get away with it in summer in summer when the fish's metabolism is higher you've got a far better chance of picking fish up when you don't show them the lure for too long they have to make that snap decision oh there's one I'll have it bang so, so you know in the summer months fish it a bit faster but in the winter months slow it right down and do you ever use anti-kink veins to prevent line twist or flat d-shaped leads to combine kink prevention while at the same time also taking the baits or lures well down if I'm fishing for pike, no. If I'm fishing for pike, generally speaking, I just use the type of lure that is going to get down to the appropriate depth. With a bit of knowledge and understanding, you know what lures are going to run at 15 feet, what lures are going to run at 20 feet, what lures are going to come through at, at 5 feet. If I'm trolling for ferox, if I'm on one of the big lakes and it's early season, then I will use a bit of uptrace weight usually a large largish piece again fold over lead with a swivel at either end which helps just to get that bait down because you can't troll a natural bait unless you put half a pound of lead down its neck and expect it to wobble effectively which it won't do you can't fish a natural bait without that extra weight up the trace I don't bother with the plastic trolling ones because the sort of lures I use don't tend to be the ones that's going to kink your line so, but I do use flat D-shaped type leads just to get the bait down. In terms of speed, as I say, slowish in the winter months, fairly fast, but not, you know, we're not, we're trying to catch fish here. These are not amphetamine-based life forms, so you don't want to be revving it down and expecting them to come zipping through the prop wake at the back of the boat. So, rods I've usually got in my hand. I don't tend to troll with three or four rods in rod rests. I like fishing. To me, one of the best bits is when you actually get the take. So if you hold it, if you're hanging on to the rod, you can speed up the lure by sweeping the rod back, you can drop it back, and best of all, you get to feel what's going on. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm very much a, I, if I am gonna troll, usually between one, one good area and, an, and another one, I'll hang on to the rod. Once you've got a fish, then it's down to experience. Now, I get a lot of people come out fishing with me because they used to do a bit of fishing a few years ago, or they've caught a few roach, they've caught a few chub, but pike, they're a bit, they've got teeth. What do we do? Now, one of the great things about coming out and fishing with somebody like myself or any well-experienced pike angler is that you do learn how to unhook fish properly as I said before I love it when I see a pike swim off no blood no damage that to me is how a fish should go back most of the time with small fish I'll bring them in I'll get hold of them across the back of the head lift them up lay them on my carpet my boats have all got proper carpets on as soon as it's on the carpet I then straddle it knees either side hold it in place turn it over put the middle finger in underneath the chin and it'll open its mouth 
if I can access the hooks with my long nose pliers or my long forceps through the mouth, fair enough. If I can't, close the forceps, go in through the gills, get the hook out. Interesting thing here that I've been pushing in recent times, if you perch fishing, and if you perch fishing with worms or any other bait, you'll often get a perch that's swallowed the bait. Don't proggle about trying to get the hook out through the mouth. Get a pair of small forceps, close them up, push them in through the gills, clamp them onto the hook, turn the hook round, poke it out of the perch's mouth and open the forceps. And 90% of my perch go back without a drop of blood. And it's not something that you hear and read about very often. With big pike in the boat, they're easy. What I have started doing though, is I've given over chinning them into the boat. You talk to a lot of pike anglers and they get the fish to the boat, yeah well this is great, we'll just chin this one in. So they slide the fingers under the gills and lift. A pike is designed to be supported in water by the upward force of that water, not be lifted out and have all its weight put on, the, on stretching the vertebrae around its neck. So I've given over chinning big pike out. Any pike over about 10 pounds in my book is brought in, get it in with the net. That way I'm supporting the whole weight of the fish. I lay the fish down and go through all the other business and particularly with big fish I've got into the routine of net them, get the net to the side of the boat and rest them for a minute. They've just battled for their lives. If you've just run a marathon, the last thing you want is somebody holding your head in a bucket of water for five minutes. I see a lot of people that just catch pike, lift them in, fiddle about with them, and then wonder why they struggle to get them back in the water. What I do, and I've discovered it calms them down, is get the net to the side of the boat and just hold them there for a minute or so. It gives you chance to prepare yourself for what happens next, and it gives the pike chance to calm down. I don't want to be dealing with a thrashing pike, I want a nice complacent one. So I'll leave it by the boat, I'm still holding the net, and as I've usually got other people in the boat, we'll clear a space, you've got the forceps, the camera and the scales ready. I'm not a number smith, I don't weigh everything, but with big fish people like to know, and it's interesting to keep a tally of what we've got in these lakes. When it's calmed down a bit, then I will lift it in, lay it down, make sure it's calm, open the net, turn the fish over, straddle it, get the hooks out, lift it, still in the net, weigh it, and only then do we lift it out, and sometimes I'll even put it back in if it's taken me a minute or so to get the hooks out, I'll just hold the net in the water, give the fish another moment, lift it in again, photo opportunity, take the picture and get it back. I do not photograph fish to death. I saw somebody on Windermere two years ago and I came as close to motoring across and giving them a real hard time because they had a fish out of water and they must have had it out for five minutes and a minute is a long time. You try holding your breath for a minute and have a look. That fish, alright, it survived, but these two guys, and they were obviously experienced anglers, but these two guys that had caught it they spent the next 15 or 20 minutes hanging over the side trying to get this fish to recover. Avoid that sort of carry on. Get yourself organised, 
and just think about what happens when you lift a big fish and you put all that pressure on its on its neck treat them well and they go back and they live to fight another day treat them badly and you're affecting your sport for tomorrow at sea we have to do the same with taupe because if you lift them by the tail or even if you don't cradle them properly to pose a photograph the unsupported weight of the body cavity organs can tear vital blood vessels and while they might appear to swim away happily unfortunately they later bleed to death I switched on to this when I've been putting salmon back long before it became fashionable and I got one salmon one day and in those days you pick them up by the tail and I heard this go and I thought that's the vertebrae separating a little bit this is this is a fish with effectively a bad back and I thought maybe this is what's happening with pike they're not designed to be lifted out a 20 pound pike is about 19 19 pounds of weight suspended on a couple of little vertebrae just behind its head if you lift it up by the gills so I always net them always net them and I use forceps and my pliers now obviously a first-time visitor could decide to fish the lake by himself and get lucky but looking at the bigger picture now including boat access having the appropriate bait and tackle not to mention the essential day-to-day -day knowledge of where when and how to use it can all contribute to saving wasted effort is it this then that makes hiring in the services of a guide such as yourself potentially so cost-effective? <laughs> well, with all that's already been said, many reasons for hiring the services of a guide. <sighs> Why of a guide? Well, as I said before, you've got all this water. Your average person, I think it works out about three and a half thousand weeks in a person's life, if you live three score and ten. Three and a half thousand weeks. If you're going to spend a few days of that going fishing, why not make the most of it? Somebody like me, and I'm not saying I'm the only guide on the planet, but I seem to be in great demand these days. Somebody like me can put you on to fish that can give you the best chance using decent tackle. All my rods are proper pike rods. They're the same rods that basically people come fishing they're using my fishing tackle I can go into my rod room I choose half a dozen rods to go pike fishing that's what people will use if they come out fishing with me so it's good quality tackle you're doing the right thing in the right place at the right time and the chances are that you're gonna catch we don't always on an average year I have an occasional blank and I always go away and rack my brains as to why and it's usually down to weather it's not down to me you do get a better than average chance of catching something and I have an awful lot of clients that's caught their best ever fish of this sort, that sort and they've gone on to become better anglers as a result of a day out with me I have people who are more than capable of going off and setting up their own guide business to be quite honest because they're, they're that good but they don't, they'd rather stick to having a proper job for the time being but they started out with me there's loads of very good anglers out there who fish lots of my techniques I'm not saying that I'm the most inventive creative person on the planet but when you've spent as long as I have fishing on these lakes in all their different moods for lots of different species you get a good good angle on what the fish are up to at any given time of year and that is invaluable you can't put a price on local knowledge it doesn't matter where you go and whatever you're fishing for you could be fishing on a, a shoreline rust mark down in southwest wales or down in cornwall you could go there on your own 
you wouldn't have a clue. You talk to somebody, get a bit of local info, and you'd catch. It's very much like that with the lakes. So, yeah, by all means, find out. Have a go. If it's not working, come and see somebody like me. Much of the talk so far has been centred on Windermere and Pike, but there is, potentially, another far more esteemed apex predator, and one which, despite the fact that it could occur at a number of Cumbrian locations, from the records, looks most likely to be caught by Windermere pike anglers, it being the ferox trout. Having already recorded a podcast looking at the wider subject of ferox trout with ferox 85 core member and researcher Ron Greer up at Pitt Lockery, I don't want to delve too deeply into the life history and species status again here, other than to say that where you find relic shoaling species such as char in big glacial lakes, chances are you're also going to find ferox trout. They have that kind of linked predator-prey relationship. So Coniston, Wastwater, Thirlmere and the rest will very likely also contain ferox trout. But apart from one which we caught in Crummock Water several years ago, almost every other Cumbrian ferox trout that I know of taken on modern line has come from Windermere. So why do you think that is? A lot of the ferox that do get caught in the Lake District tend to be picked up by the pike anglers, simply because they're out doing the right sort of thing that gives them a fair old chance of catching one. In other words, they're trolling, because a lot of pike anglers do very little else but troll. The advantages of that are the covering water, obviously. Now, these ferox, they're entirely predators. Most ferox generally seem to be taken from 30 feet down, although increasingly, depending on what you're using, you can pick them up a bit higher up in the water. But they don't just exist in Windermere. I've had ferox out of Buttermere, I've had ferox out of Crummock, Thirlmere, Derwentwater, Windermere and Bassenthwaite. Admittedly, some of the time I've been fishing specifically for them, but they also come along as an accident quite often at two times of the year. The bulk of the ferox that we pick up tend to come either early in the season by that I mean through to about the end of April, after which you rarely see them, or we pick them up again right at the tail end of the season in September. I think they just take up different feeding activities and they just their behaviour shifts so that we as, as pike anglers tend not to catch them. But most of the lakes, particularly where you've got a char population, and there's 13 waters in the Lake District, have got a resident population of char, where you've got char, you'll have ferox. If the char are absent, but you've got decent amounts of coarse fish, or you've got decent amounts of perch and roach, you'll still get a fair number of ferox. There's always a few big surprises here and there. And if you did suddenly develop the urge to fish a ferox trout, where would be your prime location, and how might you approach it? Ferox are the, are the surprises when you're out. Because I, I, I don't troll a lot, and because I don't necessarily fish specifically for ferox, mainly because the bulk of my fishing clients want to come perch fishing, pike fishing, they're either out for a big pike, or they want just a really good general day's fishing. So the ferox tend to be a bit of a surprise. A hook one... Oh, I didn't hook this. I was out with a client on Derwent Water last, last September and we were drifting down off the roadside, there was a nice southerly breeze. 
Unfortunately, this chap sounds a bit like Tommy Cooper, so this is not Eric doing a bad Tommy Cooper impression, but he dived in his box. Now, listen, Eric, he says, this is, this is a lure what I've had since I was a lad. This is lovely. And he got this big S, very old-fashioned plug. It's a big S. It's a, it's a black and silver. Oh, I love this. I'll show you. This will catch some pike. Long cast. Cranks it back, nothing. First cast, second cast, good long cast, 40, 50 yards away. Hits the water, cranks it up, boom. There you go, I told you this had happened. Cool. Oh, but this is a good fish, Eric. This is a good, oh yeah. This fish knew exactly what it was doing. I've never met one before that was quite secluded up. It ran straight to the boat, and this chap's reeling like fury. It's coming to the boat, it's coming. It's, it's, only, it's only like something off Dad's army, don't panic, don't panic. But it ran straight to the boat, it got about a rod length and a half away from the boat, and it leapt. Now, I can't hold my arms out horizontally, typical angler, and say it was this big, because I didn't see it like that, and I still don't. But what I did see was a diagonal fish, as it leapt three and a half feet into the air, and it hung horizontal. It had the tail about the size of your average shovel, in terms of length, it was closer to four foot than three foot. It was a bronze, immense looking fish. It looked as old as England. And it just held there for a moment, shaking its head. And there was this one second where the lure came free, and I have this burned on my memory of a ferox, probably somewhere between 19 and 23 pounds hanging in mid-air with this this black and silver big s separating slowly and then it just crashed into the water woof gone absolutely incredible we stood there and we were speechless we were absolutely speechless in its way it was sufficient just to know that that thing actually exists to have seen one was as good almost as to actually get it into the boat. I've had lots of big ferox in the boat. I've fished up in Scotland for ferox, but that was one of the two biggest, the three biggest I've ever seen. The other two were both at the head of Thelmere at spawning time. There's a couple of streams running at the top of Thelmere, and it's one of those strange places. I find Thelmere a curious water. Some big pike in there, it's produced at least one 27 pound fish this summer, which is a very big fish. But in terms of ferox, you can go and watch fish spawning in the autumn in a couple of the streams that run in. And I was up there with one of the Environment Agency boys about six years ago and we saw two fish. One must have been 18 pound and the other must have been 25. And these are in a stream that they could hardly turn round in. They're absolutely astonishing. We pick them up occasionally on the lake, on Derwent Water, when we're out pike fishing. There's a reasonable head of ferox in here, even though it's not that big. The biggest I've had out of here is 14 and a half. Initially, we thought that it was a pike, because it's putting up a real good scrap. When it came to the boat, suddenly you just ease up on the pressure. It's amazing. You think it's a pike, and it swims past, and it's, oh, it's got spots. Oh gently in and an absolute amazing fish very distinctive that one because it had a bit of a chunk out of its tail either it had been clipped by an outboard 
or it had been attacked by another fish, I don't know. But there are some very big ones. What we have noticed in recent years is that when I've been fishing on the rivers that run between Derwentwater and Bassenthwaite, is that we do get some very big fish that run up into the river almost as a little mini-migration. When we get a lot of extra water, such as we've got at the moment, you'll get part of the population of trout in Bassenthwaite and Derwentwater will run up into the rivers hunting, feed up in the river and then as the flood drops back they go back out. My wife and I spotted one last May down at Stocks Bridge just below Keswick. We were leaning over and she said, wow look at that, it's a salmon. It's a bit early for a salmon. And we looked and it was a fish of about 16 or 17 pounds. And as we watched and it was just illuminated by a, a shaft of sunlight coming through the trees. It all sounds very romantic, but it, it wasn't. It was, wow, it's a fish, look at that. It moved to one side, intercepted a food item, and went back to where it was resting. And I said, it's not a salmon, that's a trout, because we could see every spot on it. And it was absolutely huge. It was probably, it would be, I would say 17, 17 pound or so. And this is on a river that, we'd normally fish with a five-weight rod. It's not unusual for somebody to hook something that just sets off, and it does occur. They're amazing fish. They lead lives that we can only, only dream about. We don't have much idea about what they really get up to, but you do see them. I was out on Derwent Water, I think it would be April, and it was one of those evenings where you can hardly tell the clag was down the murk was down and you couldn't tell where the lake ended and the sky began and there was a pod of fish I've, I've never seen it before on here or anywhere else but there was a pod of trout came up towards us porpoising and you'd see the head the dorsal and then the tail and we estimated there were eight possibly nine biggest i would say would be 12 pounds smallest would be seven what they were doing, I don't know. Tweaked some maps across. I wish I'd had a fly rod with me. I had a pike fly rod, but they weren't interested in that. But they just carried on past us and then vanished. And we, we watched those for about 10 minutes. And it's the first and only time I've ever seen a pod of ferox. Absolutely fascinating fish. Best spots? <sighs> Derwent Water, Ennerdale is good. Coniston has got some good fish. Windermere. The only way to suggest these days would be trolling. I know that lures and troll dead baits are used frequently on Windermere in particular, which besides targeting the pike, probably also offer the best chance of a ferox trout. If while covering lots of potential pike habitat, you either stray into or pass close by deep water. So can we now look in more detail at both of these techniques, starting with dead baits? How are they rigged and how are they fished? In terms of the best bait, or the best lure, a lot of the big fish that's come recently from some of the Scottish lochs, Loch O in particular, have come to cut plugs. Remember the old Kynock killers? The ones that wiggle through furiously? There's a lot of evidence to suggest that there's an increasing number of good ferox are coming to those. I'd probably choose an orange one, and probably a yellowy one, and I would fish from opening of the trout season, 15th of March, and I would pack up at the end of April. Because after that, you rarely see them. Maybe have another shot in September. And that would be my ferox.
With such a vast wealth of day-to-day information and experience gleaned over the entire year, what would you say is the best overall approach, firstly for simply getting a result, then trying to sort out the bigger fish from the also rounds? Big fish. What do I mean by a big fish? Pike, I think, despite what you read in the papers, a £20 pike is a very big fish. Everybody seems to think that they're hugely abundant. They're not. To my mind, I think any pike over £18 is a big fish. If an angler catches a £15 pike, he's doing all right. If you get that next band up, that 18, 19 pounds, possibly the magic 20. I'm not a great numbers man myself. I think too many people chase number targets rather than enjoying what's happening. I think it's easy to get sidetracked by, wow, it's a 20, rather than, you know, we've had a really nice day out. It's been absolutely marvellous. We've watched the day grow old, we've seen the mist rise, the sun come out, the wildlife, the whole kin, hang on, we've got to run. Sometimes it's not about getting a £20 fish. But I would say, to my mind, any pike over £18 is a big fish. In terms of how would I go about catching one of these bigger-than-average fish, and most years we get more than our fair share, I think the first thing that you need to do is try to understand the behaviour of your fish. You'll find that there's certain times of year, certain places, get to know your own water. If you haven't got a guide, then you're going to have to spend time breaking a big water down into smaller bite-sized pieces. It's like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I do meet people who seem to think that hiring a guide is going to be a shortcut to catching big fish. It is, but it's not entirely true, because you've still got to put in a lot of time. Personally, over 20 years of being out every day, I've had three 30-pounders. Now, that's not to suggest that I'm a really good angler or a really bad angler, it's just to give you an idea that there's not that many 30 pound fish around. I think this last winter there were two came out of Windermere, two different ones. I know of one that came out of Esthwaite a few years ago that was caught again a couple of weeks later. 20 pounders, there's a reasonable number of, of them around, but they're still very special fish. For every 20 pounder that you get, unless you're lucky enough to have worked out a particular area that seems to produce, and that's down to you spending time on the water, doing the right thing in the right place, unless you've worked that out, it's down to luck. Because for every 20 pound fish, the chances are you're probably going to have to get get used to the idea of catching an awful lot of 10, 12, 14 pound fish. 20 pound fish are very unique, very special. In terms of getting a result, get out there as often as you can. Fish the places that you believe are going to produce. Talk to other anglers. Listen to conversations. Pick up on bits and snippets of information. That will get you there. If it was up to me as to where I'd go, you've just got to choose a water that you know well. Listen to other anglers, find out what's going on on the grapevine. Is this water producing 20 pounders? Is that water producing them? If it is, then go and put the time in. 
if I wanted to catch a, a big fish, I think you've got to be looking at the early part of the season in so much as if you view a season as starting, say, in January, you've got to be looking at that January-February period simply because you've got pike that are at the heaviest. I don't fish for pike when they're spawning. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's wise. And I think you're compromising the future. But if you can find a patrol route where they're moving in as part of their annual migration and you can fish it properly, then good results will come your way. I know of a couple of swims on a couple of local big waters which consistently, if you fish them at one o'clock, you will catch a big pike. By my definition, a pike over 18 pounds. It happens for a few weeks every year and it's only for a few weeks every year. After that, as the days get longer, the timings shift. I think as well you need to consider when we talk about times, on some waters pike have realised that if they pick up a bait in certain places during the day they will probably get a visit to the great upstairs. Whether they like that or not doesn't matter but there's some evidence to suggest and I only realised this when I was preparing some stuff for a slideshow and I was just browsing through some of the photos and I suddenly realised how often it was dark in the background on the photographs and that's when I began to think hang on a minute maybe I need to get some lights in the beagle and maybe sit it out for a little bit longer and I think on hard pressured waters pike have wised up to the fact that at the end of the day there's a few bits of tatty old fish get thrown around so they get easy feed. If you fish that way and you're out there, you stand a better than average chance of picking up a big fish. And if you want to go fishing with somebody like me, well you better have a look at the website. If you, if you go to Hemingwaysfish.co.uk, you'll find me. Or if you just type in Eric Hope, you'll get to me one way or another. Well, it'd be nice to talk to you. Now as I mentioned earlier, we're actually recording this interview during a break with one of Eric's regular customers, Phil Dunn, on the shores of Derwentwater. The perfect opportunity then to get a customer slant on what Hemingways has to offer. So Phil, what do you think you personally get from a guided trip that you couldn't achieve by fishing under your own steam? I've of course fished as a lad. I was introduced to fly fishing from the age of 14 and from being in my 20s to 40s I've more or less exclusively fly fished mainly for trout and grayling at which point I fancied doing something a bit different and got back into a bit of course fishing for pike that I'd never done before myself and fancied a trip to the lakes saw Eric on the TV with Matt Hayes and looked at his website and got hold of him that way and we've had some great days out ever since the last six years regular visits have come up fishing with Eric about four times a year I would do it uh, more if I had the time. Uh, why do I do it? Why don't I bother on my own? Because if you go in predator fishing basically you need a boat and if you're trying to fish a place you don't know you need a lot of time to waste to find out what you're doing. So it's well worth the, uh, the time and effort to uh, get somebody like Eric to uh, get you over the right places using the right techniques and open your mind up to uh, some methods that perhaps you uh, wouldn't have used yourself so we fly fish for pike, we lure fish for pike, we bait fish for pike and perch as well and we have a great day out. It's Bernard Venables style Mr Crabtree fishing with Eric on Dermot Water but you can 
change the emphasis with him and fish elsewhere and Windermere is a different, different story, Bassenthwaite's quite similar to this. It's lunchtime just at the moment, hence putting the boat into a nice quiet bay for a brew and something to eat. So how has the fishing gone over the morning? We've had some nice perch up to just under £2 and a couple of pike up to about £8.5 and yeah we've had some fun, the fish were active, we've dropped off quite a few actually so we've been uh, busy and it's been a lot of fun. And what about on previous trips? At the right time of year if they're on then you'll, you'll catch quite a lot of fish on here and you don't know what you're going to get. So we've had the odd trout, we've had a couple of nice brownies in March with Eric uh, while we were out fishing for pike. Um, yeah, unexpectedly, and uh, they were an added bonus. So, uh, no, you never know what you're going to get. It can be hard, it can be easy or easier, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lake that throws up all sorts of things. And it's good company, yeah, and it's not overly intensive, it's a relaxing day out. So, there you have it guided fishing across the whole spectrum of Cumbria's large natural lakes with some added endorsements. My thanks then to Eric Hope and Phil Dunn for donating the lunch break to record this interview.